0: You know, folks, every once in a while, you will hear something on the radio dial that just grabs your attention, something different that maybe speaks right to some of the thoughts that you've had in the back of your mind for a long time. We hope we think that that is this show. It's called Growing Bolder. I'm Mark Middleton with a slight case of laryngitis. That guy over there in perfect health is Bill Schaefer. You know, none of us are getting any younger. So what about those things that you've always wanted to do? What happened to the kind of life you always wanted to live? Well, this is the program that proves it is never too late and that no matter what your situation might be, there's always something you can do to start Growing Bolder.
1: And you picked a great day to tune in because on this program, you're going to hear from one of the most read, most enjoyed columnists of our time. And we'll find out how Dave Barry is dealing with all those years that just keep seeming to fly by. We'll also hear from an extreme athlete. And this guy, Mark, is so extreme that the other extreme athletes say, you got to be kidding me. We're gonna to talk to a woman who has tips on how we can age to perfection, and we'll meet another who's actually done it. A 90-something who flew fighter planes in World War II. Real people with real stories who found a way to live their lives to the fullest, anxious to help the rest of us learn how to do it too. And that's what we call growing bolder. I'm in love, he's in
2: love with the food.
1: You and I. Absolutely, one of our all time favorite hits. A very unusual <laughs> cut. Proofreading Woman from an unusual band called the Rock Bottom Remainders, and as you can probably guess, the lead singer also has a day job. In fact, he's written more than 30 books, including several bestsellers and several that aren't, but should be. <laughs> Two of his books have even been made into
0: movies. movie. Yeah, you probably remember him as a fabulous columnist for all of the best newspapers <laughs> in the country, who for many years pointed out the absurd and intriguing found in day-to-day life. And now he's turned his attention to something far more important, as you can tell from the title of his latest book or can you really it's called you can date boys when you're 40 Dave Barry on parenting and other topics he knows very little about it's a collection of humorous essays always a lot of fun to talk to as we welcome back to growing boulder Mr. Dave Barry hey Dave how are you
3: Fine, except they can't believe you played that song to open this segment of me singing Proofreading Woman.
0: You, you are no doubt doing a satellite tour of some sort to, to hype this book. Do you think there is anybody else in the entire country that is going to play that?
3: No, you would be the only ones willing to risk having no listeners left. <laughs> and,
1: and, and Dave, if I may uh, d- uh, go ahead and let the cat out of the bag, do you know, Mark, that Queen will be touring and they chose Dave Berry as the new lead singer? Oh, that'll, that's <laughs> right.
0: <laughs> that'll be exciting.
3: That would be exciting. I, uh,
0: let's start with the title, because the people that read your books know that the title often has absolutely nothing to do with what's inside the uh, uh, the cover. Is that the case this time, or did you? Yeah, like-
3: I was gonna. I wanted to give it a more general title. Um, one of them like. I, I, the branding one I was going to go with, Dave Barry, a Dave Barry book by Dave Barry. Nice. So they didn't like that. And the other one I suggested was, Dave Barry, you probably thought he was dead. <laughs> so they didn't like that one either. So they went with this one, which is um, the first essay is, in fact, about my daughter, um, my daughter Sophie. Who's, she was 13 when I wrote that essay. She's 14 now. And she went through puberty, and we need to find a cure for that at Girls. <laughs> And part of it, I kind of was expected. You know, I kind of expected that I wasn't going to have a lot of, you know, there were going to be a a lot of of times where there's not a bunch of communication going on, because when when kids get to be this age, they 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 mainly spend their time on their phone communicating with every other kid their age. My daughter communicates with every other fourteen-year-old girl in North America. And what they do is they send pictures of themselves to each other. I don't know why, but they, they do this very often. Like, here's what I look like now. Here's what I look like now. Here's what I look like. You know, that's mainly their communication. So they don't have time to look away from the phone at you. Cause if they were to, you know, look away from the phone for just 10 seconds, they could miss, like, you know, 50 crucial selfies. So I was ready for that. What I, what I really wasn't ready for was the boys, the boys showing up and and um, I used to be a boy i've I've been a male my entire life, and huh. um I know what I know how we think um as a gender we are scum we're the we're the worst gender of all the genders we're the worst <laughs> so I don't really want them around my daughter, but they're they're around all the time now they're on the on the lawn they're on the roof, they're in the trees they're like squirrels boys, and i just can't I can't stand it.
1: So, Dave, do you think do you think you're different uh, since you? I guess you had her after you turned fifty. What's it like being a parent when you're older than most of the other parents that you run into?
3: Well, yeah, I, it's, I don't care for it aging. Uh, I, there's an essay in there about aging as well, and it's like a little scary because I think, okay, I do this math. I'm I am now sixty six. She's fourteen. So I go like, okay when she graduates from college i'll be 70 when she graduates from i mean from from high school to seventy, when she graduates from college i'll be 74 75 so then when she starts dating or she gets married <laughs> i'll be dead um and, and and i i i have to accept that i i do intend to still be around be a presence in her life i'll be in, if she goes on a date she'll have to take me along in an urn <laughs> like and the urn would have a sign on so it says You kids go ahead, enjoy yourselves, don't mind me, you know. Uh,
0: Other than having to deal with those compulsive thoughts, uh, (laughs) Dave, and and I think you probably drive yourself crazy with them, having a 14-year-old daughter has got to give you uh, an interesting look into the culture, because you're a guy who likes to reflect upon that, and and in fact, you do write a little bit about Justin Bieber uh, in in this new book. Uh, You're not a big fan, are you?
3: No, I, I, my daughter last year when she was 13 and, y- and younger w- loved Justin Bieber. She was obsessed with him. Now she's 14 and and she doesn't like him anymore. She even though I spent a hundred thousand dollars on tickets to the little Justin Bieber concert. <laughs> um, now she likes something called One Direction, which is even worse because there's five of them. <laughs> but I did take her to a Justin Bieber concert last year, when she loved him, and it was. One of the worst experiences of my life, it was in the, in the uh, American Airlines Arena in Miami, and there were 17,000 people in there, of whom maybe eight were dads, and the rest were screaming girls. And they, they, they make this noise. That theoretically, they're happy, um, and they're, they're overjoyed. They're in love. They're, they're, but the noise they make is the noise you would make if your feet were being gnawed off by weasels. It's like, I love you! you know, tears streaming down their face they're very loud and 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 Jesse beaver whips them into a frenzy running around he, ne- he never holds still it's like a track meet he runs all over the stage back and forth with his dancers backup dancers running around behind him and at one point he the, the place went nuts he took off his shirt which i didn't get i mean everybody got very excited but he, he is not chanting tatum under there he looks like the geico gecko physique wise
1: he's not even carol channing
3: (laughs) there's a
4: reference
1: (laughs) hey speaking of that reference dave despite your you got kind of sort of have a dire viewpoint of age it's kind of a contradiction though isn't it because at this point in your career you seem sharper wittier funnier than ever are you writing some of your best stuff now
3: what a leading question why i think i am yes how can i possibly answer that question I mean, I can't say yes. I think I am. Are you? I are you, are you, do you? Maybe I should. I have, re- to, I have to use false modesty here and say, "Well, <laughs> I'll just defer to you on that." It's more like Dave.
1: Maybe you're seeing the world, you know, through the sharper eyes than ever, you know, because you've got the more experience behind you.
3: <laughs> well, or I'll to, I don't. I don't really have to care as much, maybe. Yeah, well, because <laughs> I'm old, you know. It's kind of nice to be old. You can be cranky and you can say, oh, "I don't care anymore." I'm old. I'm going to be dead soon anyway.
1: And then look what you did, you know. you're in your, your, your mid 60s. You move, You live in Florida. How, stereoty-
3: yeah, well, of how stereotypical can you get? That's true. I moved. I moved here when I was a younger man. I moved here in 1986 from the United States. But I <laughs> moved here because it's great material. <laughs> this is a rich source of this is the mother load of humor material. Things happen here. True things happen here that you could not possibly make up. Um, this okay. I, I don't know how much time we have. We're, we've got a minute. A minute, okay. It, this truly did happen. A, a guy who was the chief of police of Homestead, a city south of Miami, was speaking at a citizens crime watch meeting. Citizens Crime Watch meeting, he's the chief of police and he almost gets hit on the head by a seventy five pound bale of cocaine falling from the sky. Okay. <laughs> Smugglers came over, they were being intercepted by a customs jet and they're throwing cocaine out the back and they almost killed the chief of police. Now that that really did happen. Where else would that have? That could not possibly happen in Cleveland.
1: Well, now, folks, you know where the guy gets his inspiration. He is incredible. The book is called You Can Date Boys When You're 40. Just one of many great books that you're going to want to check out. Our thanks to Dave Barry for keeping us laughing so long that we can't even remember how old we are. Dave, thanks so much. Wow! She was a wasp in World War II and now she's in her 90s. But oh, can she still sting? This is Growing Boulder.
4: But I gotta know for sure. Come on and hold
5: me tight. You move! Support for Growing Boulder provided by.
1: Advent Health, introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps. Taking a walk, making a smoothie, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. And by... The Legacy Life Project from Macbeth Studio. Preserving family history, stories, and memories for generations to come by creating personal video biographies of your loved ones. Everyone has a story worth preserving. LegacyLifeProject.com The following interview was recorded before the passing of our guest.
0: This is Growing Bolder. I'm Mark Middleton, and that is Bill Schaefer. And folks, you're about to meet one of the most energetic, passionate, life-loving 90-somethings you would ever meet.
1: Does anybody bring more of those to people than we do? It's amazing. And Betty wall you wait till you hear her story. She was a hero in World War II. Yep, and the contribution that she and the rest of the wasps made back then... Well, it should never be forgotten. That's why she spends so much time out on the road talking to whoever will listen so that she can tell you the fascinating tale of women overcoming prejudice and discrimination and facing up to that task with courage, bravery, and patriotism.
6: Oh, I tell you, I like to fly airplanes.
1: As far back as she can remember, Betty Wall was fascinated by flight, but she had no idea she was about to become part of its history. The year was 1942. World War II was raging. America was desperate for pilots. Uncle Sam put out the call to women for help. Out of the 25,000 who responded, just over 1,000 actually earned their wings as Women Air Force Service Pilots, or WASPs. Betty Wall was one of them. How would a nice girl like you end up doing what you did?
6: Well, we had a lot of nice girls in the service then.
1: Do people look at you funny, look at you different? I thought I was
6: crazy. <laughs> fly airplanes, why women don't fly. I said, women do fly. We could fly anything they had. We flew 77 different types of aircraft. Not me alone, but our group. We flew 77 different types of aircraft.
1: How good were you, Betty?
6: Oh, I was good. Well, you see, I like to fly, and I don't mean to brag. I was, I was very lucky that I was able to, to do this. This didn't didn't work because I love to fly airplanes.
1: Many times she found herself engaged in some pretty fierce training battles against the men. How'd you do?
6: Well, I did pretty good. It's good to heal them.
1: (laughs) They didn't like you, did they? You showed up a lot of of fellas. Well, you
6: know, the only thing is I wanted to show them that I could handle the airplane. They were very skeptical. I understand we were the first women to fly those aircraft, and they weren't sure that they liked having us flying them, and I understood that, but I showed them I could do it, and I tried to do it in a nice way so they they would like me afterwards.
1: (laughs) When the war ended, Betty put that part of her life behind, until a simple incident three decades later reawakened her fighting spirit.
6: Lived in Mesa for a while. It was in the 70s. And I have a jacket with a B-17 on the back, a beautiful B-17. And th- there was a fellow behind me, and he says, oh, your husband flew B-17s during the war. And I says, no, he didn't. I flew b 17 Oh, he says, you did not. I said, I'm not going to argue with you. i just tell you that that's what I flew during the war.
1: There were a lot of people who didn't know of the women pilots in World War II. You see, wasps were never considered an official part of the military. In fact, the families of the 38 who gave their lives had to pay to have the bodies shipped home. Betty and many others believed that full recognition, even decades later, was worth fighting for to honor the sacrifice, to document the contribution, and to legitimize the legacy of the wasps in World War II. Once again, Betty had a mission. With the precision of a fighter pilot, she set her sights on Washington. And you were one of the people that went to Congress
6: yes, and fought for seven of us.
1: fought for recognition yeah. for the for the women. Yeah. How do you feel about that?
6: Well, I feel good about it because then they did get rec- uh, we did get recognized as veterans. I don't care it was 35 years later. They let me fly airplanes. That's what I liked about it.
1: She still loves to fly airplanes. Recently, an Air Force pilot arranged to take her up in an F-16 fighter. She says it was he who learned the lesson when he gave her the chance to take the controls.
6: He put his hands up and he's, okay, it's all yours. Oh boy. Oh I said I'll do a gentle turn to start with. I turned it like this. A six G turn. See, oh, the old man. G suit blue up like a balloon. He says, hey, take it easy. I don't have the brown bag. I said, honey, that's all right, you can have mine, because I don't need it. <laughs>
1: Today Betty Wall is still in demand, traveling the country, posing for photos and keeping the legacy alive. But she's ninety-one years old now and very aware that for her, time is the enemy. So many people that served with you are passing away now, and their their stories are going away with them.
6: Well, I'm so glad we have the memorial in Washington, D.C., and our girls are supposed to write in and tell their story. And if you go in, push Elizabeth Strophus, why, there you get my story.
1: And what do you hope we remember from you? What can we learn from what you went through?
6: That anybody can do anything they want if they work hard enough. I think that's... That's the way it is. That's what I tell them to the children. I said, follow your dream. You want to do something, do it. Because it's so important for us to do what, what we'd like to do.
1: And as for Betty, she plans to take to the skies and spread the word every chance she gets.
6: Life is short enough, so I'm going to talk as long as I'm living. <laughs>
0: Boy, what a trooper, what a laugh, and what a story, Bill. You know, you hear it said a lot of times, folks, but in this case, I think it is absolutely true. They just don't make them like that anymore. Simply one of the most engaging, personable, uh, and driven people we've ever met. And
1: you know what I love the most about her? The story she told about getting to fly recently in a fighter jet. Can you just imagine this young hotshot pilot asking that little old lady if she'd like to take the stick for a minute? And what does she do? Snaps into a turn at 6. Geez, can you imagine what she must have been like back in World War II? Can there be any doubt after meeting her that every one of those pilots had to reconsider whatever preconceived notions they might have had about the toughness and the abilities of women after meeting Betty? She's one of our greatest guests ever, Mark. Betty Wall Strophus. I'm telling you, that's what we call Growing Bolder.
0: Time once again for a quick reminder that life is what you make it, that we all have the ability to find happiness and meaning in our daily lives. All it takes is noticing and then appreciating
2: the little things. Here's our pal, Key Howard. Webster's Dictionary defines the word irony as an outcome of events contrary to what might have been expected. I found it ironic that one of our greatest American habits was accidentally developed by an adversary of the United States in the War of 1836. After the war and his defeat, this individual arrived in New York from Mexico with a hunk of chickle in his pocket, used in his country as a substitute for rubber. His American host, Thomas Adams, couldn't generate enough interest in the product, so the man returned to his country broke and disillusioned. Several years later, Adam remembered that the man would often pull out a piece of his chickle and chew on it. So using the sample that he'd carefully stored away, he mixed it with hot water, rolled it into little balls, and at a penny a piece, the chickle ball was selling very well. Based on the success, Mr. Adams began manufacturing Adams New York City gum. He made the earlier formula, tastier by adding a little licorice flavor, and he called his product blackjack. Now, today's gum has little resemblance to the chico from the trees of Mexico. Modern gum is merely sweetened polyvinyl acetate, a synthetic product made by DuPont. But Americans still chew over 10 million pounds of the stuff a year, all thanks to Mr. Tom Adams and his Mexican visitor, General Santa Ana, the scourge of the Alamo. How ironic. Till next time, this is Key Howard. Ain't life grand?
1: Up next, things you may have wondered about your own body, but were afraid to ask, all get answered by the outrageous Mary Roach. This is Growing Boulder.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by...
1: The Center for Health and Well-Being, now open in Winter Park. Wholeness, fitness, and medicine together in one convenient location offering programs and services to promote healthy living and positive aging. More at yourhealthandwellbeing.org. Sign up for the Growing Boulder Insider Newsletter, delivered to your inbox every week. Be the first to see our latest interviews, stories, and tips for making each day count. Sign up today at growingbolder.com. You're listening to Growing Bolder with Mark and Bill. Have you ever had the thought, maybe when you're reading something scientific, something about, say, the human body, that there's a lot more to it, that maybe there's a lot that gets left out because things are considered a little gross or maybe they make people uncomfortable? Well, our next guest has no problem going where no one else will.
0: She has a fearless fascination with life, folks, which has resulted in a series of titles like Stiff, Bonk, and Spook. She's also written Gospel Bits, Six Feet Over, and Packing for Mars, and her latest book may be her best yet. It's called Gulp, Adventures on the Elementary Canal. Let's say hello to the always entertaining Mary Roach. Hey, Mary, how are you?
7: Very well, thank you.
0: For, for those who might have missed Human Anatomy in college, uh, tell us what the Elementary Canal is. And didn't your publisher beg you to call your book something else?
7: Something other than Gulp?
0: Well, Adventures of the Elementary Canal, perhaps?
7: <laughs> oh, uh, well, uh, well, the Elementary Canal is just the whole pie hole and the food chute. It's the whole food, the human food processor. Uh, an Elementary Canal is sort of an old-timey word for it, but I liked it because it sort of suggested a voyage, like a summer cruise down the Danube or something, the Alimentary Canal.
1: Well, we like you, Mary, because you choose topics for your book. You know, we mentioned that you've gone where few have dared to go before. So how do you decide what to spend years of your life diving into?
7: Oh, it's kind of a process of elimination, no pun intended. (laughs) I, um, I I like the taboo topics, the the icky stuff. It's the kind of stuff people turn away from. I'm sort of the bottom feeder of nonfiction. If this is the mm-hmm. topics other people find it's maybe beneath them or something, I I actually find there's a lot of, uh, of fascinating things to talk about and and things that get overlooked because we're a little bit squeamish. So I like to just take people by the hand and and uh, encourage them to dive in and uh, come along on the voyage down the Alimentary Canal.
0: (laughs) And and tell us what happens on that voyage. What do readers discover? What do they find? Who is your audience?
7: Oh, my audience is anybody who's curious about their own body and who enjoys a a fun read. It's not in any way a technical or comprehensive physiological guide to uh, the Alimentary Canal. I spend some time, you know, I start in the nose. I spend some time with a sensory analyst who's sort of a person who can who does nose forensics who can tell you by sniffing your olive oil what went wrong in the process and so i learned all about the nose and how important that is to eating spent some time in food valley in the netherlands at a saliva research lab uh, also with uh, some some folks who do some interesting things with teeth and chewing and oral processing which is something we never give thought to you just you know you eat and you you know people just don't give it a lot of thought once they've uh, experienced the flavor. they don't really uh, they don't really realize what goes on it's kind of entertaining so i was in food valley and then for the stomach i spent some time in a radiology lab with some with a guy who brought in a competitive eater and a regular eater and compared them on a fluoroscope brought in you know bucket loads of hot dogs and a side of barium to see what was going on. And uh, so uh, the chapter about how hard it is to burst the human stomach, and a chapter on uh, Jonah and the whale and if there are any animals that could survive in other people's, other creatures' stomachs. Uh, Spent time at a fecal transplant. (laughs) Uh, Avenal State Prison was the rectum chapter. So I try to take a kind of a fresh approach and maybe an unusual take on these different ports along the way.
1: So, Mary, maybe we shouldn't be talking about your books right now as much as we should be talking about you. How did you grow up? Where did you find you know this these likes that you've had? I mean, you've had sex for science. You've gone to Antarctica for science. What makes you tick?
7: I guess I have a short attention span and an overactive curiosity. Maybe. I don't know. I've just... Uh, um, maybe don't have some of the filters most people do. I guess I ask questions that mm, might seem odd to be asking, but I uh, I just let my curiosity take me where it goes, and I enjoy travel, and I uh, I enjoy the world of science. I find scientists are usually really... Funny, engaged, smart, curious people and there 's a whole world of things going on in the in the name of science that are you know whether it 's sex research you know the physiology of sex or you know the competitive eaters in the lab study there's just there 's a lot of science that 's really fun and fascinating, and so I, I consider it kind of a privilege to be able to step into those worlds
0: we 're talking with Mary Roach, who has written a book about a process that we all partake in several times each and every day Uh, adventures in the elementary canal and uh, you know you you ask questions Mary that uh, honestly many of which I've never thought about but once I see these questions in print uh, where you've put them now I want to know the answers I mean you're asking questions like can constipation kill you Uh, why doesn't your stomach digest itself and how much food would it take to make your stomach explode Uh, can you give us the answers to any of those questions
7: I can give you the answers to all of them, but then you wouldn't have, nobody would have a reason to buy the book, so I'll give you an answer to one of them. All right, that's, a,
0: that's a fair trade. I'll, I'll pick one. How much food would it take for my stomach to explode?
7: Uh, it's actually really tough to burst a human stomach because it has a protective mechanism. It, it has stretch receptors, and when you stretch it to the breaking point, your stomach will reflexively, against your will or without your participation, it'll empty itself. You will regurgitate. Uh, so that is, uh, so it's, so for that reason, it's very hard to get it past the point where it would break unless you're dead. If you're dead, you can burst the stomach at around what you don't have that reflex about a gallon is usually where, because uh, there were cadaver studies that were done in the 1800s by a guy named Key, Key I think it was his name or Key Auberg, Anyway, he set up a bunch of cadavers around a table and uh, filled the stomachs to the bursting point. And it was around a gallon, uh, you know, give or take some Mar- Mary, individual. Mary, you're, you're, starting,
1: you're starting to scare me, Mary. <laughs> you know, but, yeah. it's, but these topics you write about, they're, they're always like they're about body parts. But the way you write about them, it seems like what you're really, really writing about, Mary, are people. You're offering a much more intimate yeah. and a greater understanding of who we are and how amazing even the simplest things we do are
7: yeah yeah i'm it's all it, it's it's about the human body but it's also about human beings, for example, the guy who brought the cadavers into the lab and filled the stomachs up I, you know I wanted to know more about him i have i mean i'm when I can i mean with historical figures it's it's a little difficult, but you you know sometimes you sometimes you find an archive like Horace Fletcher, the chewing fanatic. He left all his papers to Harvard, so you could see his papers and you could read them and you could get a sense of who his character was, and I love to do that. And so you're absolutely right. It's very much about the, the people as well as the parts and processes.
1: And Mary, in like 15 seconds or so, is there a quick takeaway, something you want us all to, to keep in mind and understand to learn from you?
7: Oh, I just, I like people to respect their bodies, but to have fun learning about them. So the books are, the books are a lot of fun, but maybe people will come away with a little awe for this crazy machine that you walk around in your whole
1: life. Well, the book is called Gulp, but folks, there's a whole unique world out there in the Mary Roach universe, and you can find out about it all at maryroach.net. Interesting stuff. Up next, a fascinating conversation with a guy that even extreme athletes think is too extreme. This is Growing Bolder.
5: Support for Growing Boulder provided by
1: Winter Park's new Crosby Wellness Center at the Center for Health and Well-Being. More than just a gym, it features unique medically integrated programs, activities for all ages and skill levels, and free group exercise classes with memberships. More at CrosbyWellnessCenter.org. Stay connected to Growing Boulder for daily doses of hope, inspiration, and possibility. Find us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram for our latest stories and motivational pictures.
4: Hi, I'm
0: Mark Middleton, along with Bill Schaefer, and this is Growing Boulder. And you know, there's really only one way to describe our next guest. He is. In the best sense of the word, a freaking animal, a guy whose life is full of extremes and contradictions, somebody who can't feel good unless he feels bad, who can only feel comfortable if he feels miserable, who can't relax unless he's pushing himself to unimaginable lengths, not just for him but just for for just about anybody and these days he's a little unsettled unless he can ruffle your feathers as well oh
1: man you know he is a living breathing running example that even if we believe with all our hearts that we're doing as much as we can pushing as hard as we can going as far as we can that we are capable of more a great deal more if we only have the guts to dig deep enough to find that this guy is an ultramarathoner endurance racer iron man who seeks out and competes in the toughest events he can find and even those weren't tough enough so he invented one of his own he's even written a book about it called spartan up let's meet the father of spartan racing he is one bad dude in the best sense of the word mr joe DeSena. how you doing joe Hey, Dylan, my head's not going to fit
8: out of my kitchen door now. <laughs> hey, t-
1: tell me it's not
8: true, though. Every word of it's true, huh? I-, I would say my greatest accomplishment is I have four children. That's my, um, that's the, that's the great. Everything else was just getting through life. And
1: well, I got news for you, my friend. Having, raising children, that's the greatest endurance race you will <laughs> ever run. I'm experiencing it <laughs> real time. It is not for the meek either, my friend.
0: So what is it with you, Joe? I mean, is is it a good thing or does it tend to be a, a bad thing? Is it an addiction? I mean, couldn't you just be happy with twenty six miles, or or did you have to jump up to a hundred and then say, well, that's not enough?
8: I just needed to know. I'm you know thinking back fifteen years ago when I started this crazy crazy stuff. I just needed to know could I do it? I remember as a young kid seeing an Iron Man on TV, thinking, man, I could never do that, and then. Um, and then I hit this phase of questioning, could I? And, uh, and so I just had to keep upping the bar, as many people do, just to see what was possible. And then you get to a point where you realize um, anything's possible. You just have to put your mind to it.
1: Hey, Joe, when you go out and you go to the store or you go to the mall or, or whatever you do, do you, do you look around and, and kind of get disgusted when you see the rest of us with our bellies hanging over our belts and, and you know, not being in shape? Is it frustrating to you?
8: Very upset, it upsets me. Uh, we got a big discussion quote unquote discussion going on in my house right now because we're we're going to spend uh Easter with my sister in law and um, it was brought to my attention that there'd be lots of jelly beans and junk food at the house, and that I should say anything and um, it drives me absolutely crazy
0: so tell us about the Spartan race because I know this is what everything has led to uh, your own creation. what is the Spartan race?
8: The Spartan race is a military-inspired race. It's got um, everything you'd envision that the military would do as they're uh, testing themselves to see if they could enter uh, the military. So there's uh, walls to climb over, there's barbed wire to crawl under, there's fire to jump over. It's a lot of uh, crawling, climbing, swimming. And really it's a a mental and physical test uh, of the participant. And what happens, uh, the reason our tagline says you'll know at the finish line, is it it literally transforms you as you do the race. It's unlike a marathon, because I've done plenty of those. It's unlike a triathlon. its um, It really tests your will and your spirit. And um, when you get done, you've got this new obstacle immunity that you've started to build, which helps you get through your days uh Regarding things that you used to be upset about, the coffee being too cold, the kids screaming, the car not starting, uh, you're late for work. Those things become really insignificant after you've been through a uh, Spartan race.
1: Obstacle immunity. Tell, tell us a little more about that. That's not just something that athletes face. We all face that every single day.
8: Well, we have in, in, inside of us innate is a, a fight or flight mechanism. It was meant to kick in when a bear shows up early in the morning when you get out of your cave or a lion. Um, you fight or you run. And, and that reaction was not meant to kick in in traffic or as I described when the coffee's cold, it was meant to kick in um, when you're out in the wild. And so by putting you out in the wild in a Spartan race, for example, we get to kick in that, that mechanism um, and, and we get it to work where it's supposed to work so that it doesn't get tripped uh, when it's not supposed to get tripped. I mean, if you've ever ridden a road bike on the road, um, someone has driven by and honked and been viscerally upset that you are in the road six inches too far into their lane. And that causes a reaction by the driver that really is insane, right? They beep, they honk, and all they had to do was swerve, I don't know, an inch or two with their steering wheel. There's no way that we ruin their day. Um, but that happens because they, ha- they didn't sweat. They didn't get chased by a lion or a bear. They didn't get to use their fight-or-flight mechanism the way it was meant to be used that day or a week or a month. And so they're getting angry over silly things.
0: Hmm. You know, Joe, from your experience, when we're pushing ourselves to these extreme tests, what breaks first, our body or our mind?
8: The mind. Mind always goes first. I mean, the, the body will get uh, tired. But as the, as the body's getting tired, the mind is telling it to shut down. And um, the, body, the body can go, I found for myself, I've gone eight days beyond where I thought I took my last step. So I've laid down in the snow in the Swiss Alps and said, I'm done. Stick a fork in me. It's over. And uh, somehow you convince yourself to get up and take a few more steps. And that's turned into eight more days of trekking. And... Um, so the body really is um, it's an unbelievable machine that actually gets healthier and fitter and um, more efficient as each day goes by. So um, you'd be surprised what it could do if your mind doesn't shut it down
1: you know, I guess we all could use a Spartan race in our lives, but most of us, Joe, there's no way we can do anything close to what you do. I understand that you are getting a great deal of pressure from exercise enthusiasts, like the weekend type, to develop a, a Spartan race that, you know, maybe actual humans can participate in, and you might be on the verge of reinventing
8: triathlon? I mean, Spartan race is very accessible, as scary as it sounds. Um, we've got four-year-olds to 74-year-old grandmothers competing in the Spartan race. So, Yes, it's brutal. Uh, yes, you're going to work hard. Um, it's very accessible. Anybody could finish it that puts their mind to it. Will it, will it take over triathlons? It, it already has. Um, if you look at the number of participants in our races globally versus the number of participants in triathlons, our numbers are off the charts. And, and that's because you don't have to go buy a $3,000 bicycle. You don't have to spend all those days running on a paved road, which really the human body is not meant to do. Uh, a lot of people can't swim. This is a human sport. This, this, uh, Spartan race, you can literally get off your couch, stop eating the popcorn, turn the TV off and jump right to the starting line of a Spartan race. Mm-hmm. It's going to hurt but you you can do
0: it. You know, as you talk about this, I think probably half our audience is, uh, you're convincing them they never want to try this. (laughs) And the other half, they're saying, yeah, I want to do that. You know, give us in the final 40 seconds, the Joe DeSena takeaway. What are you about? What should we learn from your experience?
8: Uh, I'm extremely motivated and uh, I like to get stuff done. Life is really short and and um, it's a privilege to be on this planet and being able to breathe. I mean, not everybody has that, right? People die every day. And, and so I would say, um, yes, for those listeners that are nervous or scared, the easiest way to get motivated, because that's the number one question we get asked, is to commit. Literally just tell all your friends, your mom, your dad, I'm doing this. i am signing up for this Spartan race. Yeah, it's crazy, but I'm doing it. And once you do that, all your habits will change. You go to bed early, you wake up earlier, you'll have new friends, you'll stop drinking wine. Everything changes for the better. And, um, and, and I'm sure you'll email me and tell me your life has changed. We get hundreds of thousands of emails that say that.
1: There you go, folks. He is the author of the book Spartan Up and the creator of Spartan Race, one of the most amazing examples of how much more powerful we all are than we even realize. Check him out at spartanupthebook.com. Our thanks to Joe DeSena. Up next, the surprising role of sex in increasing your chances of living to 100. This is Growing Bolder.
5: Support for Growing Bolder provided by
1: Advent Health. Introducing the Feel Whole Challenge, a 21-day program offering big improvements through small steps like a daily walk, making smoothies, changes that encourage whole person health. More information at feelwholechallenge.com. Subscribe to Growing Boulder Magazine now with more information, articles, and photos than ever before. This quarterly publication is unlike any other, filled with the kind of inspiration you need to live your life to the fullest. More information at growingboulder.com/slash-subscribe. I think you know by now that you are listening to Growing Bolder. I'm Bill Schaefer with Mark Middleton, and we have a tremendous segment for you now. Our weekly surviving and thriving interview with the right kind of care and support and the right attitude. It's possible to not only survive life's greatest challenges, but to thrive in the aftermath. And right now we're going to give you some specific tips that will help you find out if you're on the right track.
0: Amen, Brother Bill. Our next guest is an award-winning author and a public speaker who has a degree from George Washington University School of Medicine and Health Sciences. She's co-host of the Staying Young radio show, and she's a regular health and wellness contributor for Fox News Radio. She and two others have written a new book called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100, happy, healthy, and wise. Let's say a happy hello to Judy Gaiman. Hey, Judy, how are you?
9: I'm doing great. How are you?
0: We're doing great. Thanks so much for your time. You know, let's jump right into the book, and let's start uh, with the title of the first chapter. I'm guessing if there's just one thing to remember from the book about how to thrive to be 100, it's the two-word title of that chapter, Personal Responsibility.
9: Well, that's exactly right, and that starts when you're young. It's, you know, we can't, like, start this at 60 and 70. We can improve at 60 and 70, but we really have to start paying attention even in our younger years, even at 20 and 30 and 40, because these are the times that we make sometimes life-changing errors.
1: Well, we can pay attention, Judy, but geez, there's so many mixed messages. It depends who we're paying attention to, conflicting and confusing statements out there about what's good and bad, what'll save you and what'll kill you. How does age to perfection help?
9: Well, I think you make an excellent point because there is a lot of bombardment. Do this, take this. Really what we did in this book, we put a lot of great um, research behind it. But what I like to say our best research was, was we went to those people that were over 100 and we said, hey, give us your top 10 list. And we put that and we included it in the book. And it's interesting that when you compare what they're doing and what they've been doing their whole life, that it goes back to a lot of the research that we really didn't need all these expensive, fancy studies to tell us. We could just ask these people because a lot of the things that they told us across the board were the same.
0: Yeah, and they're just doing it by nature. It seems like many of these people—they didn't read a book. They weren't advised by anybody. You know, in a lot of cases these are these are relatively poor people, if not poor, certainly austere, and they just go about their lives and uh, and don't make the mistakes that many of us do, right?
9: Well, exactly, because they, were, they weren't they were eating from the barcode like we tend to do these days. We always say don't eat from the barcode. If it has a barcode, don't eat it. I mean, they were eating fresh fruits, fresh vegetables. You know, even even the meats that they were eating, uh, we know where they came from. They were, you know, grass-fed. They, they were basically organic because before organic got cool, you know, that old song, a country before country was cool, they were organic before organic was cool. And they didn't have all these fancy things that we have now. But they really got to the basics and they stuck with those basics, exercise on a regular basis, eat lots of fresh fruits and vegetables, spend time with friends, you know, take your attitude into check, take personal responsibility. All these things are so important.
1: All right, Judy, I I told Mark before the interview that I wasn't going to go here, but I think I really want to. You've dedicated in your book an entire chapter to sex.
8: Chapter
1: so, eight. So, so all right. Let let us have it. <laughs> we need to know this. Will sex kill us or help us live to a hundred? Because it's got to well, be one or the other.
9: It, it's really important. We put Chapter eight in every book, and that's always the sex chapter. So we print t-shirts say Chapter eight because it is so important to health and it, it, being in a monogamous relationship and having an active sex life is. So important in so many ways, it helps with hormone regulation, it helps with it 's a natural antidepressant um, the, just even the the feel receptors in our body we have to have that human touch. There was a, a study a long time ago where they they took these kids in the, in the uh, Romanian orphanages that were not thriving, they weren't growing, they weren't thriving, and they they put people there just to touch them and hold them. And they noticed that suddenly those kids they were they were growing in height, they were putting on weight, their brains were working. We need to be touched. And too often we you know, get in our car, we go to work, we sit at our desk, we go home, and you never touch anybody. You don't touch each other. So the power of touch is really important, and of course, um, you have to touch each other a lot when you're having sex. So that that's really important.
0: I think I need to get one of those Chapter Eight T-shirts, Bill. <laughs> <laughs> that would be nice to have,
1: and we can declare you Chapter Eight—a <laughs> whole I, new I, meaning.
0: I, I like that. You know, there are so many people our age. When I say our age, uh, 60s uh, uh, and, and beyond, that you know they they like hearing this stuff, but in a way, it it threatens them because. You have to work to make these changes. Some people want to believe that it is too late to make these changes. Their life is as it is. But it really is never too late, is it, Judy?
9: It's not, and this is a very important message for your listeners who are in their 60s. And and even if you've made those mistakes at 30, 40, 50, earlier in your life, maybe you were a smoker, maybe you were a drinker, making the changes and the decisions now to get it together does have tremendous health benefits, and it can prolong your life, so it's not too late. This is a message of hope, a message of hope for anybody who's out there that. that the things that they do, the things they put in their mouth, the decisions they make each day to get out of bed, have a positive attitude, get moving, eat right, avoid things like artificial sweeteners, things with barcodes, uh, cigarettes, alcohol, all of those those things are bad for us. Avoid those things and make good, healthy choices. It's a day-by-day, step-by-step, step-by-step process where you you can make a difference in your life, not just in your life, but the influence you have on your spouse, on your children, on your grandchildren, really important. And we can't overlook that.
1: And your book, Aged Perfection, doesn't just give us hope. It gives us concrete things to try. Give us a few examples of common habits that, that are literally killing us.
9: Oh, well, sitting too much. Uh, if we're sitting, living a sedentary lifestyle, you know, they say the sitting is the new uh, smoking. We're actually taking years off of our life. So if you're at a, at a desk job or if you just, are one of those people that likes the television or you just like to sit in your lounge chair and read all day, you got to get moving. Very, very important to the circulation in the body and, and all, all around, even your immunity, everything. And that's one thing that, that people can do that's easy. And most of the things you can do to improve your health don't cost you anything. So if, you know, you're seeing things online or talking to people and they say, you got to buy this, you got to do that. No, you don't. you got to do some common sense things. So obviously that drinking alcohol is just, it kills us on the inside. It is a toxin. We need to either limit it or omit it completely. And uh, smoking, but not just, Smoking yourself. Avoid secondhand smoke. I mean, believe it or not, there are still restaurants that have smoking sections. Just crazy, crazy, crazy. Avoid secondhand smoke altogether. Just stay away from it. There are so many things just like this in our daily lives that we can do, and and just choice. It's all about choices, and we just got to make the better choice. Like we said, like I said earlier, artificial sweeteners. Stay away from those diet things. People say, oh, yeah, but the regular soda has too much sugar. Then don't drink soda. You know, know, (laughs) Judy? Then choose water.
1: You know, you really hit on something here, and you've put it all together in a great book called Age to Perfection, How to Thrive to 100, Happy, Healthy, and Wise. You make a lot of sense, girl, and we appreciate what you've done to give us all a little boost on our way to seeing how close we can get to being 100. Thanks, Judy. And if you haven't already, check out Growing Boulder TV on public television stations around the country. And we invite you to subscribe to our one-of-a-kind Growing Boulder magazine, packed with inspiring stories, tips, tools, everything you need to help make the rest of your life the best of your life.
0: Yeah, you know what? It's also the perfect gift for anyone you know who needs a little inspiration to get off the couch and get into life. Just go to slash subscribe, where you can also sign up for our free newsletter.
1: And don't forget to follow us on Facebook as well. Folks, we will see you next time right here.
5: Growing Boulder is a production of Boulder Broadcasting, all rights reserved. This program was recorded at Growing Boulder Studios in Orlando and is available as a weekly podcast on NPR One, iTunes, Spotify, Google Play Music, Stitcher, and TuneIn. It is written and produced by Jill Middleton, Mark Middleton, and Bill Schaefer. Executive producers are Jackie Carlin, Robert Thompson, and Emily Thompson. Technical director is Jason Morrow. Production manager is Michael Nanis. Chief audio engineer is Mac Dula. And our most important team member is you. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram to keep growing bolder every day.
4: Crimson flames tied through my ears Fire and flaming road Using ideas as my map We'll meet on edges soon Said I me, heated brow Ah, but I was so much older then, then. I'm younger than that Scream Lies that life is Black and white Spoke from my skull I dream Romantic flanks of Musketeers Foundation deep Somehow oh, But I was so much Older then I'm younger than that now Here the soldier's stand